Hello, I'm Casey. And I'm Emily. And you're listening to A Sprinkle of Sugar, A Dash of Murder, a true crime podcast with an element of baking. And what did you bake this week? Poutine! (laughs) (laughs) So aggressive. Poutine! Yeah, I I made a poutine. Uh, For those of you that haven't heard of it, I'm... Most people would probably think it's from the South. I don't know. It sounds like a Southern. Yeah, especially the way you said it. You're like, poutine. <laughs> I did say it with a Southern accent. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, for those of you that don't know what poutine is, it is a Canadian delicacy. Mm-hmm. Um, Emily and I, when we went to Canada, we experienced it and it is amazing. So yeah. And it's basically a staple over there. <laughs> I oh. wish it was a staple here. Not to like abduct their national dish or whatever, but. Right. I don't so know good. why it's not more common in in America. I mean, I have like seen it on menus. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in Canada, it's like served in like fast food places. and Yeah. Here we would probably just be like cheesy fries. Like that's what it. Right. Yeah. But it's a little different. It's a little bit different. I mean, I'm sure that there are lots of different uh, takes on um, poutine as well. But Mm -hmm. the one that I did, so it's just French fries covered with gravy and cheese. It's so good. Yes. And um, you can do like cheese curds on it, like cheddar cheese curds. Or I think that there's even like, you can also do like, uh, let me look really quick. Like uh, white cheddar cheese curds, or you could even do like some other kind of substitutes, like with uh, just you know shredded cheese or whatever. So, you know, I used the shredded cheese that we had. I mean, it might not have been you know your classic Canadian poutine, but it still tastes so good, and yeah. it's got the same concept. Yes. <laughs> so anyway, obviously. Last week, we made the french fries, so we just kind of added an extra element to it. So you can use the same recipe that you did for the french fries, and then then, um, we'll post the recipes for the gravy, and then you just sprinkle some cheese on top. Yeah. So So good. It was. We actually did eat it before this, too. Yeah, we did. It was really tasty. Makes me miss Canada. (laughs) Honestly. So, Emily, let's hear about it. Who's this... uh, this criminal we're going to talk about today. Okay, so we did a Canadian dish because we are doing Gordon Northcott, who was born in Canada, born and raised in Canada. Um, his crimes happen in LA, but, you know, okay, shout good. out to Canada. <laughs> He's from there. At least he came to America before he did his crimes. What do you mean? Wait. <laughs> At least he came and terrorized our country instead of precious Canada. What was my point to say that? I had a reason. I think it's because, like, Canada, like, you don't, I don't think there's too many crimes. Yeah, I just love, I love Canada so much. So at least all these crimes didn't happen in Canada. We don't want to take their reputation. You expect it for America, I guess. I don't know. You're welcome, Canada. We took your criminals. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was an ignorant comment. I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> Ooh. That's good. Well, anyway, he was born 
Uh, November 9th, 1906 in Saskatchewan, Canada, which is fun to say. It is. I don't think I could repeat it. Saskatchewan. Yeah, that right? there you <laughs> go. <laughs> I can't. I don't know why. I just like, in my brain, you, ha- you just have to say it like that, but mm-hmm. okay. So Gordon and his parents moved to Los Angeles in 1924, and they bought a farm in a town called Wineville, and which is around los angeles or it's a part of los angeles okay it's kind of weird the way la is broken up with their county lines and blah 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 so okay something like that it's california yeah so it kind of seems like gordon's father was not so great but it also isn't proven that this happened but gordon claims that his father sodomized him at 10 years old Oh, gosh. So, there's that. And his father, um, there's not much more about him except that he died in a lunatic asylum. So, something happened where he was committed to an asylum. So, if he ended up there, something happened, you know? Right, right. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, it does sound a little bit more believable when you say that he was uh, admitted. Yeah. So, I mean, I wouldn't rule it out completely. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Um, and then one of his uncles also died in San Quentin prison, um, serving time for murder. So, kind of bad things running in the family, clearly. Yeah, right. But he was very close with his mother, as we will see. And her name is Sarah Louise. Yeah. Yeah. So... <laughs> By the time he was 21, they were living on a poultry ranch in Riverside, California. Um, And it was him, Gordon, Sarah Louise, his mom, and his 15-year-old nephew, Sanford Clark. So Sanford, his mother is Winifred Clark, who is Gordon's sister. And she gave him permission to bring Sanford to live in America. Um, from Canada. So they're separated now, like Winifred and her son. Wait, why does this happen all the time, though? I don't know. Like, I feel like with a lot of our cases, it's like, oh, yeah, they actually, the kid actually went off with this family member for some reason. I don't know. Yeah, it does seem like that happened a lot. Like, they were just passed on to someone else. Right. I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure what the circumstance was, but it could have been like she agreed that her son would help out on their new farm for a while or something like that. I mean, he was like 15 years old, you said, right? Yeah, he's 15. So I guess that kind of makes sense. Yeah. But unfortunately, Sanford was often like beat and sexually abused by his uncle. No. And they, Gordon was, you said 21 at this time? Yep. So they're not that far apart in age either. Yeah. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, it's a definitely unfortunate situation. Um, And these things definitely followed Gordon. And at the same time that they were running this poultry ranch, um, a lot of young boys in the area started to disappear. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, So Walter Collins was a young boy who disappeared on March 10th, 1928 from Mount Washington, um, Los Angeles. This kind of, this series of event, events with Walter is like really crazy. So his, Walter Collins' mother's name is Christine. And 
The night he disappeared, she had given him money to go to the movies, and he never came back. So she started, you know, immediately searching for him and telling police, like, he's gone. Mm-hmm. Um, but f- it's five months before she hears anything. So her son is missing for five months. And a boy claiming to be Walter um, was found in DeKalb, Illinois. What? Yeah, far away. Pretty very that's a far. Long way to go. Yes. So letters and photos from this boy were exchanged with Christine Collins, and I guess they looked legit. So she paid for the boy to be returned to her to travel from Illinois back to California. And this at the time there was like extreme pressure by the LAPD to like solve Walter's case, and the public was like furious with um that five months had gone and he wasn't found and there was no word and whatever so the police wanted to put a rest to this um speculation and whatever so a public reunion between christine collins and walter her son was arranged yeah reporters to come and the public to come see um because they were like look he's returned everything is going to be sun and roses um oh i mean I, I feel like there's going to be a big twist to this, yeah. but I just to like even televise that, like, uh, with them being like introduced, oh, like this TV, kid, but... oh, to make it like a big public thing though. Yeah. This kid was just through so much trauma, been, has been separated from his family for the past five months. Right. Yeah. This is the last thing he needs. He's going to be so fragile and like, just, he does not need a whole lot of attention right now exactly that would be really that's such a personal thing a reunion right and like that's yeah and the police just wanted to use it for good publicity like right. look what we did like yeah it's not right okay go on so there were also a lot of corruption scandals in the lapd that were like coming to light in the public so the public is on top of walter's case not being solved they know about this this um corruption that was happening at the time and they're really not having it so this reunion has to go really well Mm -hmm. but um the boy shows up and christine immediately is like that's not my son i don't know who this is and not what they wanted at all and Captain Jones of the LAPD, he was not happy. That right. It wasn't the right boy. So he was. Uh, he said to Christine, why don't you take him home and try him out for a few weeks? Legit said that to her. Who is this kid? Whose kid yeah. is this? Where did he come from? Well, yeah, we'll find out. Okay, but, good. Because what the heck? Yeah. And Christine is like, no, this isn't my kid. And the captain is telling her, go try him for a few weeks. Like he's a new car or a pair of shoes or something. And take a road test drive. Just Yeah. That's ridiculous. <laughs> and for some reason, I guess they really pressured her into it. Like, take this kid in, take this kid in. So she did. Even though she knew it wasn't Walter. It wasn't her son. And three weeks later, she, Christine went back to the police and she's like, I've had enough of this. I this is not my son. And she came with like dental records and had everything like birth certificates, whatever proof that this wasn't her son. And Captain Jones did not like it. And he had her committed to a psychiatric ward (gasps) at LA County Hospital because she was 
not, you know, putting up this front that everything's fine. He's like, in his mind, this case is closed. That's so messed up. Yup. That's corrupt. I mean, yes. And just be like, where's her husband in all this too? So her husband is in prison. Mm-hmm. So their family kind of has like this reputation oh. because he's in prison. And he was a little, they were worried that somebody had kidnapped Walter um, in retribution to something his father had done like in prison. So there was that idea coming along, but yeah, he is in prison. Wow. You know, that's just like, so it's just this mother, she's just trying to find her child yep. and not being listened to and just being completely dismissed and like, okay, I'm sorry, I hate to pull this card, but I feel like she was being, like people were just able to dismiss her because she was a woman. Yeah. I feel like if a man went in there and did that same exact thing, that he would be heard yeah. a little bit more. People would be listening. Mm-hmm. But no, she gets admitted to a psych... A psych oh, my dog. <laughs> she gets admitted to a psychiatric facility. Yeah. Basically, that she's crazy. And... I hate this. That so sucks. messed up. Yeah. Um, she was admitted under a code 12, which is a term by the police for someone who's an inconvenience. What? Yes. So that was an actual thing. Like, she was not committed under any fake diagnosis even. They literally just said she was inconvenient um, to the police. And she got locked up for that. It's insane. And this poor mother, she's like, this whole time while um, she's in a psych ward, she's still trying to fight, like, to be heard, trying to get people to help her, um, anyone who can. And only her only ally was a reverend named Gustave Briglib, and he believed her. And he fought to help her and to expose the corruption in LAPD during this time. So he's he's a reverend, so he doesn't have like a lot of political pull, but mm-hmm. he is the only one, the only one who is helping her at this time, trying to. So while she is committed, Jones Captain Jones decides, well, okay, I'll question this boy. Um, so he's questioning him, and the boy admits to being Arthur Hutchins Jr., not Walter. And he is a runaway from Illinois, which explains why he was all the way over there. Right. Um, he said that while he was on the run, he just happened to bump into somebody, like a drifter in some diner or something. And that person told him, hey, you know, this case that's going on in California... Uh, you look like, you're a lookalike. You look like this kid, Walter. And then Arthur decided to impersonate Walter so that he could get to Hollywood. And it would be like he wanted to get to California. So he used this whole thing as a means to get to Hollywood. Playing with a mother's emotions like that. And like, oh my gosh, that's... It's just cheating the system like that so much. And she paid for him to come over and... Yep. So what do you think was going through his head? Like, he's just kind of like, all right, living in this lady's house. Yeah. Going to the dentist. They're taking pictures of my teeth. You know? How long <laughs> did he think he could keep it up? Like, right. Yeah. I don't know what and that I, thought process is. I mean, I really doubt it was that intense of a interview, too. Yeah. I just really. like sat him down like, all right, what's your name? Yeah. And then realized 
And like the kids probably like time to come clean. If if he hadn't confessed, that captain would probably be like, "So she is crazy, like, right?" You know, yeah. Ugh. So Christine amazingly was not released after this confession right away, um, because you know why? Why wait to release someone who's innocent? Right. She was released ten days later, though. So she did get out, but like I was like, "Come on, ten days after he's like." yeah she's right i'm not her son what what what's the delay there i hate that that sucks this poor woman she's Mm -hmm. just trying to find her child yeah and like not only is this a massive disappointment it's also like because she can that her child is not returned to her yeah and she's also out money because she paid for this child to rain to come across the country true yeah she also has to sit in a psych ward for how long was it for do you know like Um, the total days i'm not sure what the total amount of time was i mean any amount of time but over 10 days clearly Mm -hmm. yeah ridiculous so then the first thing christine did was file a lawsuit against lapd because thank you wouldn't you yes She filed another lawsuit against Captain Jones. She won the first one against LAPD, which is good. Um, And she also won the lawsuit against Captain Jones. And he was supposed to pay her $10,800, but he never paid it. She never got a cent of that. I don't understand. You are court ordered to pay somebody in a like a legal proceeding. How do you just like get away with never paying that? Like, shouldn't someone follow up on that? I just, well, probably the chief of police would follow up. <laughs> well, I mean, I suppose so. <laughs> like, uh, I wonder, I wonder if that's why. <laughs> like, he had some pull, and yeah, well, they just what? never. Now, now that you said that, that, yeah. <laughs> that but, sucks. That's ridiculous. Yeah. But and there, there right. is, there is more. Yeah, I mean, I guess if, like, what are you supposed to do with that if the chief of police is just refusing to do it? I mean, I guess like. Yeah. At that point, like, you'd have the governor step in and then fire him. Yeah. I don't know. I yeah. Don't, and I'm not sure. It The article, like, didn't say if he went back to work or not, but that would be just absolutely horrible. But you know what? I wouldn't be surprised if he just went back to work after it that. It sounds like a pretty messed up system, so. Yes. Yeah. All of these events, like this whole story with Christine and Walter, um, are depicted in a film called Changeling, which was made in 2008, and Angelina Jolie plays Christine. So if you're interested Mm. in watching that, it's a pretty good movie. Um, It's kind of depicted as kind of like a horror movie as well, but... um, okay. I mean, that is a horror story for the mother, yeah. Yeah. So, um, and then it also... I haven't seen the movie in a long time, but I think it does cover a little bit of the rest of this case as well. But it's mostly about Christine's, like, that whole deal. So, yeah. Okay. I mean, I don't know if this happens in real life or not yet, but in the movie, does she get her child back? No. Walter? That's the thing, is, like, even in the movie, though, like, that's still just a massive bummer. Yeah. Like, honestly, if in the end... I still got my child back, then all of it would be worth it. Yeah. But no. Unfortunately, no. Like not. Yeah. So while Walters was probably the most well-known of these disappearances at that time, there were 
a lot of other boys, like I said, including 12-year-old Lewis Winslow and his 10-year-old brother, Nelson Winslow. And the two of them disappeared from Pomona on May 16th, 1928. Um, and that's another really tragic, like, t- to lose one child and then some family has lost both their sons. And right. That's really really terrible and to just disappear too mm-hmm. what were they doing um there's not info of what happened with them that i could find right of how they just were reported missing because um, this is also like 1928 so records are kind of yeah i'm yeah, just thinking about like okay never gonna send my child to the movies never gonna oh, right. <laughs> you know like it's like all this stuff like okay mother's mental note well mother me future yeah. mother <laughs> i'm taking all these mental notes of like okay how can i protect her yes keep her in a glass box right yeah. all the time where i am always supervising i i think that too like i used to work in a movie theater and i would see like parents come drop their little kids off at the movie theaters all the time and i would always think i'm like oh, i would never not to be judgmental but like personally i would yeah. never because if you're a teenager and you can drive yourself, that's fine. Right. And, like, even, like, sometimes I remember I would be dropped off. I was going like, to say, we were definitely like, dropped off. But I don't, if they're younger than, like, I would say, like, 14, I probably wouldn't. I can see that. Yeah, 13, 14 would probably be the age where, you know, I Because also, I mean, yeah. they could just, like, also 14-year-olds, well, 13-year-olds are kind of, like, mischievous, too. Yeah. 13 and 14. They could just kind of decide to go walk somewhere else, go on their own, yeah, go shopping in the mall instead of going to the movie. (laughs) And, well, I wouldn't want them to be alone, I guess. Like, most people don't want to go to the movies by themselves. But it seems like Walter, when he went to the movies, he was alone. Like, she dropped him off to go by himself. So that's just, no. Right. Not by yourself. Right. Absolutely not. And, um... Yeah, but sometimes, like, honestly, at the movie theater I worked at, they, the mom would, or dad or whoever, would drop off, like, a seven-year-old. What? Himself. Yes, I'm serious. I, I didn't see that too often, but it, it happened, like, once or twice. And, and the was, kid like, would just, wow, like, walk crazy. in and watch yeah. the movie. And-, and then, usually, if that happens, they would tell us, like, hey, watch that kid. Like, like it was our job. So, when the movie was over, the kid would just, like, sit down in our lounge area and wait for his mom so like nothing happened he was okay but like still i was like i probably wouldn't do that if i were that mom my mind is so blown the the movie theater is not a place like it's not a babysitter no it's not a nanny service not a daycare yeah what yeah i would call the police i'd be like no you abandoned your child yeah i'd call the police (laughs) so don't ever let me see you do that because i will call the police i'd be like there was a child abandoned at the movie theater like i'm sorry parents who have done that with their young children but no i'm not sorry i'll call the police on you yeah honestly i mean yeah i would never do that but yeah it happened wow so another boy who went missing was a young mexican boy um, near La Puente in 1928. And there's no, um, I couldn't find a name for him. He was unidentified, I think. Um, but later in this case, uh, he was the only 
boy whose entire, almost entire body was found. So he was found headless. <gasps> so other than that, his like body was intact and um, he's the only one to be found. What? Yeah. So that's it. That's so really sad. Uh, I, I'm so confused. I'm really interested to hear like what else is happening. Yeah. So uh, like I said, the details in this are kind of like a little muddled. Um, because it was just like, I went to a couple different sites and it was just kind of hard. Some of them told different stories. Um, like the details were a little different. So I'm mm-hmm. sorry if some of it's wrong. I wanted to try it against different sources, but they were all a little bit different. So okay, um, the names and like the when and how the boys were found are all a little like muddled. So, okay. Unfortunately. But... Um, There were, apparently, they all said, you know, there were a lot of disappearances of young boys at this time, which is really sad. Mm -hmm. So this kind of pattern, obviously, I think you can glean from what I've said, Gordon is, he has been taking young boys. Mm -hmm. And this could have probably went on for a really long time, but in the summer of 1928, Gordon went to the DA's office complaining of a neighbor's profane and violent behavior, which I find very ironic. Yeah, I was going to say, wait, this is Gordon that went in? Yes. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, and so the thing he was upset about is that this profane and violent behavior, the neighbor had reported him for animal cruelty to his chickens, which is also another level of sad on top of that for animals. Oh, Gordon abused his chickens? Yeah. So the neighbor had reported him for that, saying, like, he's not killing them properly, like, for food, and he's just neglecting them, not really... It's a poultry farm, and you're supposed to, like, even if you're going to kill them for food, you're supposed to take care of your animals. There's still animal rights. Right. So, and he was upset this neighbor had reported him. (laughs) So, (laughs) apparently that's profane behavior, but okay. Um, Gordon also claimed this neighbor had upset his nephew, Sanford, and that, um, Sanford was training for priesthood. And he's like, this neighbor is disrupting his training to be a priest. It it was just like this really weird, bizarre story because Gordon himself is abusing his nephew. Right. So he's trying to just push all that blame on somebody else, I suppose. Ugh. Makes no sense. Yeah. But this neighbor comes back and is like, I, I am not upsetting your nephew. And the neighbor reported that Gordon, um, he saw Gordon beat Sanford multiple times. And he told the police, you should probably look in on this ranch and see what happens. So mm-hmm. it's this back and forth with the neighbor that really gets Gordon caught in the end. Because if he himself maybe didn't even go to the DA to complain right maybe they wouldn't even have looked into it because that started this like back and forth with the neighbor wow okay so you know i mean i'm glad that happened but you're not very smart if you're a criminal who goes directly to the da yourself right this guy's gotta like he's gotta be some sort of delusional because if he's if he's the reason why all these boys are missing and He's committing all these crimes, but then still feels comfortable enough to go to the police and then also to yeah. the DA and then to also 
be pointing the finger at someone else about about something like that acting like he's all high and mighty right yeah that really amazes me that he's able to like i don't know he should know what he's doing is wrong clearly there's some like some sort of delusion going on yeah there's like a disconnect in his brain where he just is like i don't know maybe he really believes that in his mind or maybe he's just wants to lie but yeah Hmm. so sanford's older sister jesse so this would be gordon's niece Mm -hmm. um sanford and jesse had like sent letters back and forth because she's his older sister she's like what what's happening over there what are you doing in america and she started over time to become very suspicious of the letters that he was sending her and she she thought they sounded very forced and like not right and she started to think he was saying like oh everything's fine but she was very suspicious at this point okay so jesse decided to come to the ranch and she had stayed a few days but she was terrified of her uncle and decided to leave no way yeah and so nothing um happened to her necessarily but like obviously she was getting creepy vibes and whatever um and so she was scared of him and left but um obviously she was too scared to take sanford with her but she went to the police before returning to canada and she said uh, my uncle Gordon's in the country illegally and I would like help getting my brother back. So she didn't just up and leave him. She did something about it, which is really brave Good. of her. Too. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So she reported him and hoped that this like telling them that Gordon was here illegally would really push them to look further into what was happening. Right. Um, and it worked because immigration officials came to the farm to take Sanford away and they were saying um, his Canadian parents had complained about Gordon and they wanted him back. So that was kind of the pretense to get them on the farm. Okay. Unfortunately, Gordon like saw them coming up the road and he managed to flee with his mother, Sarah Louise, and they escaped through the woods before they could be caught. So now they're on the run. So... They just left Sanford there? Yeah, they left him there. They were like, we don't have time for you. See ya. Because they literally see officials coming up the road. Okay. So, while they are fleeing, and we'll come back to where they went, but Sanford tells these officials who show up everything that has happened. He admits that um, this farm has been, or Gordon has been bringing these missing boys to the farm and Sanford admits that the headless boy that was found was murdered by Gordon and that Gordon had forced Sanford to burn the boy's head to dispose of it. Oh my so god. He's, he's admitting to doing things but obviously under Gordon's orders so unfortunately. Oh. And so Sanford starts pointing out fresh grave sites on the farm to detectives and he just basically shows them around shows them like everything he's completely like cooperating you know and so detectives and investigators they start to dig around the property and search it and they find like in some areas the ground was just like soaked with blood what yeah i don't know (gasps) how unless it was like 
recent. I don't know how that could be, but apparently that's what they found. Um, they found human ankle bones and fingers on September 17th, 1928 is when Aww. they started finding that. Oh my god, that's your birthday! That's my birthday! I didn't even put that together <laughs> until you went, oh. <laughs> oh no! Gross. Sorry. In Can we make it a different day? day? in history. <laughs> Casey Mallory was born. Casey Taves. <laughs> Whatever my name is. <laughs> oh boy. Well, sorry. <laughs> Gross. But yeah, they found um just random bones not like skeletons but bones like all over the farm all over the place and they found um in a barn i think or just around they found like blood-stained axe and a hatchet um and sanford admitted that this was not just because there was blood on it and they were like well it's a chicken farm yeah right and sanford was like no he this was his gordon's preferred um weapon of choice for the boys unfortunately so he told them that that's human blood not just chicken yeah um and then there was also human hair found on the axe oh yeah more bones were found inside a chicken coop and (gasps) it was later determined when they were examined they all of the bones belonged to male children yeah oh my gosh that is so horrible Mm -hmm. that is absolutely horrible sickening yeah it really is and then this um around like locally it started this case started to be known as the chicken coop murders which is kind of what it's known as today as well which i don't know that's just a weird name but whatever right um (laughs) So inside the house, investigators found a book that was checked out to one of the Winslow brothers. And then they also found letters to parents that the kids had written, um, a child's whistle, and a bunch of Boy Scout badges were found. So this was just really sad. Yeah, all these items that prove there were multiple children here and... Mm -hmm. um, can help, like the book that was checked out to one of the Winslow brothers, it helps identify who they were. But unfortunately, they were not able to find anything directly tied to Walter Collins, the boy from the very beginning. Okay. Christine is his mother who was committed. Right, right. And that's unfortunately the case. There were a lot of bones. There were a lot of things, but they unfortunately were not able to ID. A lot of the children. Most of the kids, yeah. Only, I think, three of them were in the end. And there were a lot of disappearances. And there's no total number either. um, But they suspect up to 20 were on the farm. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And Gordon was found on September 20th, 1928, in Vernon, British Columbia. So he had made it all the way back to Canada with his mother. Sarah Louise was also caught. Yeah. So What the heck? Yeah. I don't know you how they made it all the way there, but okay. So he was caught and Sarah Louise wanted to protect her darling son and she immediately claimed responsibility for all of the killings on the farm. And they went to talk to the detectives, went to talk to Sanford again. And Sanford was like, no, that's not the case. Absolutely not. 
um, Sarah Louise was in on a lot, but it was Gordon. So don't believe that. So they're right. like, okay. So they start talking to Gordon, kind of see what was going on. And he had abducted the boys, hid them on the ranch, and he would have sex with them and then murder the boys. Oh, that's so sad. I know. It's really terrible. That's horrible. Um, He dissolved their bodies in quicklime and then took the bones to the desert for disposal, which is why they couldn't find skeletons they couldn't find full Mm -hmm. bodies um because they were just scattered everywhere on the farm and just lost in the desert which is so terrible like to to be a family member and you can't even you don't even have a body to bury is just that's painful or you can't even 100 percent say for a lot of these families, like, my son was there. Yeah, right. There's no... It's there's, just missing. And almost, like, you you don't want it to be... Like, you don't want them to find their body. But then at the same time, I'm sure, like, there's a little bit of disappointment there that they never they never knew what happened to them. Right, yeah. That would be such a... That fine line of wanting to know and not wanting to know. Right. And, yeah, I can't imagine how that would feel. That's good. Oh my gosh. I feel so bad for just all the families that went through that. What a sick, sick yeah. person. That's just, it's, you are completely deranged and sick of the, in the mind to do that to kids. And the fact anybody. that like his mom was in on it, like, I wonder what that really means. Like if she just kind of knew what was going on and or if she tried to stop him, and but then like he just had this illness that yeah, I don't know. And then and then also okay with Sanford, did he like help with any of this? I know that he was like I mean he had him burn the child's head, but mm-hmm. was there like he? Um, I think Sanford admitted that Gordon forced him into luring the boys there, like helping get them there. And then helping dispose of some of the bones sometimes. So not like the act itself of like murdering them, but like the cleanup. I don't know how I feel about Sanford and all this because he's 15 years old. He's a child. He doesn't have anywhere to go. Mm -hmm. Um, He only lives with his, his uncle and his grandmother. Right. And so this is all he knows, like in a different country, yeah, on some remote farm. Mm-hmm. So and he's also being, and he's also being and abused. abused. So I would be very terrified of him. I'm not excusing that his part in it, but yeah, it would be a very difficult and scary situation for him as well. Right, for him to be a part of it is like it's it's so difficult because like you want him to also learn the lesson of like you know, be punished for it. But then also he was just an innocent child and all this as well. And he was also being abused. Yeah. That's Uh, hard. Yeah, for sure. But he was cooperative right away too. So that's got to help him. Gave up everyone and everything like immediately. Okay. Yeah. Um, 
In December 1928, the police brought Gordon back to the ranch, so he was in custody, um, to try and get more answers out of him and try and find, like, hey, can you point out more bodies and stuff? Mm -hmm. And that day, he confessed to five murders, including the Winslow brothers, Walter Collins, and a Mexican boy named Alvin Gothea, and... I was I tried to figure it out in the articles. I'm it's unclear if Alvin is the same boy who was found um decapitated right. or if it's a different boy. I couldn't figure that out. Okay. So I'm not sure. So he admits to at least 5 murders, but then later that same day he retracted all of it except for the murder of Alvin Gothia. What? It makes no sense. I don't get he he's obviously and this becomes a pattern with him he toys with the police a lot with like confessing and recanting and telling different stories a lot so he's definitely a pathological liar for Mm -hmm. sure yeah and during his trial gordon had multiple attorneys and he fired all of them and then demanded that he defend and stand up for himself why do so many serial killers do that i don't ted bundy did that he did yeah there was another who else was it? Did H.H. Holmes try to do... No. No. I don't recall. There's... I feel like there was someone else that was really big that tried to um, defend themselves in court. And it's like, why are you doing That's that? a smart idea. I mean, with zero experience, but probably because... But then he ha- he fired a bunch of people. I don't know. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Yeah. I don't... I. Some people just get it in their heads that they can do better than anyone else, and that is to your detriment, but okay. So when you hire a lawyer and, you know, they're building a case for you and everything, and what if you're guilty and you know you're guilty? Do you tell your lawyer, hey, I'm guilty, but I want you to prove me innocent? I think you're supposed to, yeah. Like you're, you're supposed, supposed to, to tell, tell your, your lawyer the truth. So then when, you, when you're firing all your lawyers, then there's like 20 guys out there that know True. that you actually did all these things but yeah. can't legally say anything or... I think. So yeah, yeah. I, I'm I just confused by how that all... I don't know how the confidentiality works once you're like fired, I would imagine. It I mean, it would place, stay in place, yeah. yeah. Ethically at least, but at the same time, it's unethical to kill 20 children, so... Right, Yeah. I just say I would hate that being a lawyer, knowing that the person you're defending is a scummy little. I wouldn't. That's why no, I've I would, never wanted to be a lawyer. I'm like I don't want to ever, because you can be defense or prosecution lawyers. I know there's different like types, but like right. I wouldn't ever want to be on that side of the law. Yeah, because you could just you know all these things, and then your job is to you know be on. What if you disagree with your client? Is my thing. Yeah. It's interesting. I wouldn't want that. No. At all. All right. Go on. Um, where was I? Okay. So, so during Sarah Louise's sentencing, because she is also on trial, um, she made a lot of bizarre claims. She told everyone that Gordon was innocent, um, which obviously nobody believed. Um, but <laughs> she, mean Gordon. yeah, and she said a lot of weird things about his parentage. And some of the stories she said was that he was, Gordon was the illegitimate son of her and an English nobleman. At one point she said she wasn't his mother. She was his grandmother <laughs> and that he was the result of incest between her husband and their daughter. And then she also said that 
Gordon was sexually abused by the entire family. She's making like all sorts of stories. I'm only laughing because I'm just thinking about like Gordon hearing about what his mom's saying about him being like, Mom, stop. Right, right. Like, <laughs> You're um, embarrassing me. This isn't the story that I'm saying, so shut your mouth. <laughs> yeah. Honestly. Like, oh, mom's at it again. Just make it shit up. <laughs> so they're, yeah. They're both liars, obviously. Um, she just said, and like every single day of the trial, she would say a different story or make a different claim. And she was, she just proved to be ultimately completely unreliable and she was completely dismissed from the trial. You know, that's actually kind of clever. To make up stories? To Yeah, just to like kind of like, if you want to make sure that you like that, whatever your son is saying is going to be true, but you guys haven't had the time to like oh. think of like a proper like, okay, so what's story. the story here? Mm-hmm. Then just make yourself illegitimate, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. Or, uh, yeah, like it's like... um. In the episode of The Office, when Michael spreads a rumor, and then he realizes he shouldn't have done that, so then he just goes and spreads a bunch of different fake rumors, so then when everyone finds out, then everything that was said that day is just kind of washed away. Yeah. And I always think, I'm like, that's actually incredibly (laughs) smart. Like, you know, I I always think, like, that tactic actually works out really well. Yeah. So maybe that was actually a <laughs> kind of tactic that she was maybe, doing. Maybe, like, yeah. Okay, so now tonight I'm going to think of a new thing to say to the police <laughs> exactly. tomorrow. She's like, hmm, what can I come up with tomorrow? <laughs> like, I'm going to make it really weird. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, possibly. But she did confess to murdering Walter Collins. Sarah Louise said she definitely was the one who killed him. Um, she said she used an axe and that she buried him by the chicken coop. Well, so, did they find him? They did not find anything there. But everyone believes that Walter died on that farm somewhere right. and somehow. Yeah. And Sanford also backed this claim up. He said most of what Sarah Louise was crazy, said was crazy, but he um, confirmed that Yes, she was the one who killed Walter. And Gordon also said that too. So, um, Sarah Louise received a life sentence for Walter's murder. And that was the only charge she got, but she got a life sentence for that. Why Walter? I don't know. I'm not sure um, what happened there. Um, because their stories are so unreliable. It's right. all over the place. Um, but it looks like... Um, they all kind of agreed that, yeah, it was her who did it. And that was one of the first ones that went missing, right? Yes, yeah. So I don't know. I think she tried to play it like um, she knew what Gordon had done to him, and she tried to cover it up by, like, getting rid of him, but she didn't with the other children, I suppose. Right. What I'm thinking, and this is all just in the top of my head, so obviously none of this is actually real, or it could be. I could just be really clever. Yeah. Um, but what if what happened was she was, um, you know how you said that it was very public, Walter's disappearance yeah. and all of this, and everyone was like, everyone knew about Walter's disappearance? Yep. Well, what if they like, so they take the first boy, then all of a sudden everyone's freaking out. 
They're looking everywhere for him. They get scared. She gets scared and she kills him because it was so public. Yeah. And she knows. Yeah, exactly. Like you said, she knows what her son had done. So she's trying to protect him because clearly that's like her only her only saving grace is that she's a is that she's a um, the mother, a mother that will do everything for her own child. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. that's like the only thing that we can take away from this is that she really loves her child. Yeah. And a lot of, you know, mothers are like that unconditional love. Exactly. Is clearly there with with them. Mm-hmm. So she's decided I'm going to do everything I can to make sure my son stays safe. And then once once she realized that, OK, this is a thing now, you know, Gordon kind of started killing the kids. Cause yeah. Like, mm-hmm. Maybe that's what maybe that's Could how be. that went down. You know, yeah. And she the only reason she was not sentenced to death, she got a life sentence is because she's a woman. The judge didn't feel... It's 1928. The judge did not feel right about sentencing a woman to death at that time. So... No way. Yep. That's the only the reason. Heck? Why can women be sentenced psych ward, but, right, then, right. but then they can't be killed? Make up your mind, people. Right. Are we treating huh. women higher or lower than the standard? Or how about we just all treat everyone equally right how, how about we have that? the same standard <laughs> like, like i expect if you know no i i i can't support a sentence i'm so <laughs> irritated by that just kill her <laughs> just kill her sorry sarah louise i'm not was that her name yeah that's her name <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so Gordon, however, is convicted of three counts of murder for the Winslow brothers and for Alvin, because um, they couldn't, they just couldn't prove anybody else. Like even with Walter, they couldn't prove it, so they couldn't convict him of his death. Mm-hmm. But everybody, it's like one of those situations everybody knows, you know? Right. Um, and he is sentenced to death. So um, during his time on death row. He constantly claimed his innocence. And then, yeah. And then one day he'd say, I'm totally 100% innocent. The next day he would give, he would write a detailed confession of up to 20 victims. So it was very back and forth, like throughout his whole time in prison. Um, He loved the spotlight, like really loved it. So he would often tell the police, um, I will point out the places of where the bodies are buried, let's go, and, like, you can bring reporters and whatever, and we'll go find the bodies. And then at the very last moment, he would be like, no, I don't want to tell. So he never gave up the locations. Even, maybe he doesn't even know, because he had them disposed so randomly in the desert. Mm-hmm. Um, but that happened multiple times, where he'd be like, yeah, I'll show you. And then at the very last second when they're about to go, he's like, no, nah, I changed my mind. Are there any, like, did you see any reports on how his behavior was, like, as a person? Was he just, like, a really weird guy? Yeah. Or do he seem somewhat normal? Well, I have a quote from the warden. Okay. Um. So the warden, Duffy, is his name. And every time he had a conversation with Gordon, he said, quote, a lurid that these conversations revealed a lurid account of mass murder, sodomy, oral copulation, torture, so vivid it made my flesh creep. 
And then this warden said that every time he was around him, he felt like chilled to the bone. Like he was just like strange and just like an eerie person right. to be around. I mean, clearly his niece felt that way too. Yeah. yeah. And then another story that I found in one article, but it was not in the other two. So this could have been just one of those weird lies he told. I'm not sure if it really happened, but they. Um, it was also reported that Gordon would rent the boys out to local pedophiles um, and that he gave a list of, quote, customers at the farm um, of like names of these people. And uh, like I said, that I only found that in one of the articles. So I right. don't know if that's true, if that really happened, or maybe it was just some weird story he told one day. But that's another level of messed up as well. Yeah, it absolutely is. I'm just trying to think of if I believe it or not. I'm trying to decide. Yeah, I'm not sure. Because with that, I just feel like he would be, it would be more, um, like he wouldn't get away with it that long. You know, yeah, he really with that was, many people knowing. Yeah, he yeah. was pretty convinced that he was going to get away with it. Like there was not really, it didn't seem like he really had the police on his radar very much. Right, yeah. It just seems like, it seemed like he was kind of like, oh, what's, what, how, how do I ex- explain this? Like. He was kind of in the background a lot, and he was really just... He would have gone unnoticed if, like, just these couple of things hadn't happened. Yeah. Because, I mean, they they didn't even track down... You know, he wasn't even connected to any of the children in any cases. It was only them finding the bones Mm -hmm. where then they connected it back to him. Right. Yeah. Wow. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So... He was hung on October 2nd, 1930, and his last words are, um, apparently he was, like, he was really frightened of the noose, and he started to, like, yell, and he said, a prayer, please say a prayer for me, and those were his last words. I will not, sir. Sorry. Sorry. I know Christian duty is to forgive and pray for somebody, but no, I won't. No. Sorry. Uh, his mother, Not if he's asking, I'm sorry. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, Sarah Louise died in prison of old age. So she lived a long time rotting in prison. Um, Sanford himself, he never went on trial for murder, mm-hmm. but he was sentenced to five years in Whittier State School, which is a correctional facility for okay. um, younger mm-hmm. people. Um he served 23 months of that sentence and then he was deported back to Canada and he went on to serve in World War II and then he worked for 28 years in the Canadian Postal Service. Uh, He married a woman named June, adopted and raised two sons and for 55 years they were involved in a lot of like charity organizations helping children things like that so um he died in 1991 at 78 years old so he moved like i don't want to say moved on because i feel like that will never leave you but it seemed like he tried to make up for the past you know like i want to get right 
benefit of the doubt. He did terrible things, but also with the circumstances, you know, it's like, it's hard to say the judgment of that, but that's... No, I agree with that. I mean, I think it's beautiful when people can take something, and this is traumatizing to him. Yeah. This was, this was trauma in his life. Mm-hmm. Can take trauma that has happened in their life and then turn it into a positive, something positive where they can help others through from it yeah is i think that's really amazing that he was able to do that with his life and that's like that's kind of what the goal is yeah when you put kids through these into these schools or these facilities is you want the reform you like you hope that people that are dealt shitty cards get a second chance yeah i think he deserves it i yeah i'm back i'm on his side originally i was kind of like questioning him but no it sounds like he lived a good life yeah after he did after all that yeah. horrible yeah. stuff and then the last thing i have for this case wineville they got a lot of bad publicity for mm-hmm. this i mean it's known as the wineville chicken coop murders um but they really tried to fix that and in 1930 they changed the town's name to mira loma to try and separate oh. itself from that so really was that why not, they changed it that's exactly why they changed it because of Wow. this case and trying to distance themselves from it so imagine, i'm exposing them by telling you but yeah. <laughs> everyone knows imagine doing something so horrible that you literally ch- make a town change its name yeah wow so that is... wait i want to know something oh okay oh wait did they do this back then so this was 1930 did he have a last meal oh i'm sure they did I, look it up. I don't know um, and that always yeah oh my god i would die i would die that always amazes me uh or it's just like oh it's always really interesting gordon what was his last name uh northcott c-o-t-t please hold while i try to find this okay yeah they talk about his last words a lot yeah no i'm not seeing it okay my uh yeah my this is why i don't do the research for the (laughs) for it because i will never come up with all the information that i want because that really interests me like when people like their last meal but yeah no i hope i i doubt it's poutine poutine's too sophisticated for (laughs) yeah (laughs) my uh french fries and gravy (laughs) cheese if i find it i will i will put that in Whenever I find it. I wonder if it's like chicken. (laughs) Ugh. Boo. (laughs) Oh my god, but he was a poultry farmer. Yeah, that was my point. (laughs) I I was just thinking of how I was like, ugh, chicken is your last meal. (laughs) What would your last meal be? Oh, it would be a nice steak dinner with mashed potatoes and creme brulee. Creme brulee, really? You like creme brulee? I love creme brulee. We don't make it for you sometime. Oh, yes. I've had it one time. I love it. I love huh. cracking the sugar on the top. It's so satisfying. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. Mine would have to be, um, ooh, oh, meatballs, <laughs> like barbecue meatballs mm. with mac and cheese and potatoes on the side. Oh my God. And then for dessert, I'd have um, 
a nice piece of chocolate cake with fresh strawberries and strawberry Ooh. drizzle. Or I'd oh have God. cheesecake. <laughs> my mouth is watering. I'm pregnant, yeah. so this is just a dream. Like, I'm just like wow. <laughs> loving this conversation. I love food. <laughs> cheesecake. Strawberry cheesecake. Fresh strawberry with stra- this strawberries. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm drooling. Fresh strawberries and a uh, nice strawberry glaze. How many times can we say strawberry in the last five minutes? <laughs> with chocolate on the side. I don't know how the chocolate oh will be served. That's uh, that's up to them. That's up to the chef. <laughs> Do you remember that time that we were in Canada and uh, it was probably like we were away from civilization for like five days at this point and and we're all sitting around the fire talking about if we could have, what we would, what our dream dinner is. Oh my God. I think we talked about that for like (laughs) at least an hour. We talked about the perfect meal for like an hour. Yes. Okay. We were in the middle of, um, the Bowron Lakes, and mm-hmm. what you do, because there's, like, bears and stuff, you can only have what... It was a vegan diet, and we were out there for, like, what, 10 days? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, the food was good, but, mm-hmm. like, if you're not a vegan, yeah. you miss meat in a your lot diet. Of, yeah, there's a lot of garlic. <laughs> yeah. But we had curry one night. Did we? Why we don't, did. Yeah. I remember the trout that we had one time. We had trout? Yeah, Andrew caught a trout. Oh, I was going to say, I was like, they didn't bring meat. <laughs> oh, right, yeah. right, okay. Yeah, and then we would have to tie up the food up in the trees at night so the animals wouldn't mm-hmm. get in it. But yeah. <laughs> anyway. Well, we were very serious about our food on that trip, oh, though. we were. Like, I remember, um, I can't remember if this was, yeah, when we were in uh, the Bowron Lakes or if when it, we were in the Boundary Waters, but... I remember our friend Andrew, like, he had hot chocolate, and he'd hide it. Oh. He'd hide it, like, in, I mean, he we still had to put it up in the tree. Like, he mm. wasn't put anyone in danger. But he would, like, make sure that every morning he'd, like, go and make sure his hot chocolate's still in that same spot. Oh. Because he did not want, because, I mean, he. I don't remember if that was Boundary Waters or. Yeah. Well, everyone was, like, really big on coffee drinking oh yeah but he wasn't so he yeah. was very serious about his hot chocolate yeah the percolator <laughs> was going all day long oh guys. my gosh we were big coffee the drinkers. amount of coffee grounds i ate because because <laughs> we were not good at making coffee on um, your little campfire stove yeah wow that just sounds that's this is why i love canada like canada yeah. is just so beautiful and it's just I mean, and they use words like portage. Oh, yeah. Instead of I say portage. That all the time now. Mm-hmm. And no one else says that here. Yeah. But. Like, okay, so for those of you that don't know, we would, so we'd go on these uh, canoe trips and they'd be out on the water. We'd be gone for three to, I think, eight days was like the max that we'd got, we've been gone. But it's like out in the wilderness, we're gone. Mm-hmm. And um, when you're traveling from lake to lake, from spot to spot sometimes you know when the lake ends and we're about to go on to another one you have to get out of the water and literally carry your canoe and all of your equipment Mm -hmm. and all of your gear which when you're out there for eight days it's a lot it's gotta fit in your backpack you portage it 
from one body of water to the next. But when we were in Canada, they're all bougie and French. Yeah. And they say portage. Yeah. And it was just fancier. But And also, it, they were smarter about it because instead of having to carry the canoe, take it out and put it on your shoulders. Oh, they had wheels? They had wheels. Yeah. It was still difficult at times, but it was a lot easier yeah, with right. the wheels. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Remember our wheels? I'm sorry. This is so long. <laughs> just talking about Canada. But I know. But the wheels fell in the water one time. Oh and we were like, gotta go back for the wheels. No, it was it was right. the most intense thing because we would attach the wheels to our bags. Yeah. And so if our wheel, yeah, if something fell out, it would all fall out together. Yeah. And we were in the middle of this crazy turn. We even, the, we uh, camped out next to this like really intense turn uh, the night before. And so we were able to like practice this turn beforehand yeah. without any gear in our canoes because they because the guides that were like helping us through this wanted to show us okay this is what you're supposed to do this is what you'll do tomorrow a lot of people tip here yeah. because it's so intense and you have to take like a really sharp turn yeah so and, and there's uh i think it was, there's two different rapids coming from two different directions which is why it yeah. was so like hard it's really it's really intense and really fast and the person in the back, which was me, yeah. I mean, both both people in the Jump. canoe need to, need to know, but the person in the back is like steering. the person that's steering and the person that kind of <laughs> calls the shots as far because they can kind of see everything going on. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, the, we were coming up to this rapid and this is like, we, we <laughs> did the, we, um, did the practice runs fine. Yeah. We're coming up to this rapid and, uh, we had to do this sharp turn and I whip it and I turn it so hard. And I mean, it was fine. We were going in the right direction, but it whipped so hard that I swear we were on our side, like for a second, like we were probably like inches away from water getting into the canoe and us remember. tipping and the wheels probably fell not. out. I remember yeah. I jumped down and I had my paddle in one hand still steering us and I grab I like had superhuman strength. I think it was yeah, just like, like the adrenaline, adrenaline yeah. and the fear because I just grabbed the wheels along with our bags attached to it and just pull it back yeah, into the canoe. Back. Yeah. And then I don't know if any but everyone's like wow Casey and Emily you guys did amazing we did they complimented on how good we did that turn so yeah. I feel good about it but we really almost wrecked we did like but, and it was the most I mean it, it helped really that nice. someone after us wrecked so took that pressure <laughs> off <laughs> it did yeah I know Straight we're like well at least we didn't do that <laughs> and I looked like a badass doing it yeah hey-oh. but yeah no I I really don't have that strength anymore i don't even know if i have the strength <laughs> yeah, to like right? go an hour of paddling oh my gosh we, we would paddled for like eight hours a day eight pretty hours much a day maybe yeah <sighs> wow Damn, i miss those we days. were in shape right <laughs> like we could handle the portage too mm-hmm. and i don't think i could anymore <laughs> no well i do remember the first time when uh we were in boundary waters and we had to carry the canoes mm-hmm. i remember trying to do it and like running into trees a lot and yeah. like i think i i think i actually gave up at one point i think that um i can't remember who or maybe would you and i carry it together yeah i can't remember I think so. there was some way that you and i were able to do we'd it. get by yeah. 
because <laughs> I couldn't do it on my own. But anyway, sorry, yeah, that was that a... Was a long time. <laughs> I knew that was going to happen, though. Once we start talking about Canada, we just... I mean, that was just such an amazing trip. Yeah, it was. If you ever want a crazy experience, go to the Bowron Lakes in Canada through... Um, what was the... Pathways? Yeah, Pathways uh, Canoe Guides. Yeah. The, it was it, awesome. was it was one of the best experiences of my life yeah and so yes i whenever emily and i are t- together really we still talk yeah. about that trip like all the time it was in like 2016 we still yeah be like wow those days like yeah yeah it was beautiful and emily and i guarded each other every single time we went to the bathroom with bear spray mm. do you so remember that one time you didn't <laughs> threw me out of the tent to be <laughs> sacrificed to the bears casey thought there was a bear in our tent because the guys woke us up to go see the northern lights and casey woke up like <laughs> swinging ready to fight and she shoved me out of the tent and i went rolling down into a ditch because she thought there was a bear she was like see ya we get back in the tent afterwards we're like wow that was beautiful and emily's like yeah i'm soaking wet i'm like why are you why are you all wet she's like because you pushed me down this dewy hill. Because <laughs> literally when I was running out, I just... <laughs> okay, when you wake me up from a dead sleep, like, okay, hey, come out here, come out here. I'm running. Oh, my God. You're... Hey, <laughs> you're... Um, what's that phrase that they say? You're only as... You don't have to be the fastest. You just can't be the slowest. Yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah, oh. <laughs> that's kind of my, that's my motto when running from a bear. <laughs> You're like, move, bitch. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'd sacrifice you now, but I can't oh. speak for half asleep, Casey. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, anyway. this? Yeah, probably. <laughs> In this century. Okay. <laughs> so, anyway, um, I'm Casey. And I'm Emily. And you just heard a sprinkle of sugar, a dash of murder. <laughs>